0: Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. All of Holy Week, beginning with today, has so, so much to say to us in the services, if we know how to hear it and are paying attention, so I'll keep these remarks brief Now, so that we can continue listening to the service itself, Uh, but I want to give just a few interpretive keys to help us as we listen, um, and just to give us a little bit of context um, for what we're hearing in these services. Palm Sunday is, of course, special because it begins with the blessing of palms and this procession around the church, which is, of course, meant to connect us with the Hebrews spreading their garments and palm branches before Christ riding into Jerusalem on a meager little donkey. Um, as the prophet Zechariah um, said would happen, showing his humility, while accompanied at the same time by shouts and songs, also indicating his kingship and his messiahship. So cries of Hosanna and blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. But a lot of us may not know that both these phrases, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, both come from the same psalm. And that's Psalm 118. So what is it about Psalm 118 that was in the mind of the people as they were coming to escort Jesus into Jerusalem? The people clearly were looking for a figure known as the Messiah or the Anointed One who was meant to take up again the throne and the kingship of David, um, who, if you remember, was promised by God to have a son, a descendant who would sit on that throne forever and make Israel the light to the nations that it was always supposed to be. And so after Israel's uh, exile, specifically the people of Judah, their exile and then their return and then subsequent persecution under the uh, Seleucid Greeks and now the Romans, there's this nationalistic hope among them at the time. And the beginning of Psalm 118 has a very nationalistic rallying cry saying, "'Let Israel now confess that he is gracious and that his mercy endureth forever.'" Let the house of Aaron now confess that his mercy endureth forever. Yea, let them that fear the Lord confess that his mercy endureth forever. And so we've got the whole house of Israel. We've got the house of Aaron, that is the priesthood of Israel, and all that fear the Lord, all that fear Yahweh, which means the so-called God-fearers, those foreigners within the house of Israel who acknowledge and worship Yahweh. Let them all rise up and confess with one voice, united, that Yahweh's mercy on them never ends, but beyond that, the psalm has language that was probably understood to be messianic words, which would have uh, which would apply to the coming Messiah, and which would have been in his mouth, so to speak. For example, verse seven of Psalm one eighteen. The Lord taketh my part with them that help me, therefore shall I see my desire upon mine enemies. This was understood to be the language that the Messiah would be speaking at his moment of triumph. Then three verses in a row um, that imply military might and victory of the oppressors of, over the oppressors of Israel, all ending in the same phrase, I will destroy them. Verses 10 through 12, all nations compassed me round about, but in the name of Yahweh I will destroy them. They kept me in on every side. They kept me in, I say, on every side. But in the name of Yahweh, I will destroy them. They came about me like bees and are extinct, even as the fire among the thorns. For in the name of Yahweh, I will destroy them. So, you know, the people have this language in their minds of this Messiah rising up to finally destroy all the enemies of Yahweh. And then, get this, Two verses coming soon thereafter, those verses in that psalm says this, uh, applying to this kingly Messiah, open to me the gates of righteousness that I may go in and give thanks unto Yahweh. This is the gate of Yahweh, the righteous shall enter into it. What other gates could the psalm be talking about other than the gates of Jerusalem? And the people knew this. And so here comes Jesus, obviously the best candidate for Messiah at the time in their minds, coming toward this gate So these verses are in their heads. And what do they shout? Naturally, they shout the cries and the declarations found in the next few verses of the psalm. Hosanna from verse 25, meaning save us. And they believe that he would save them. So now it's coming out as sort of a cry of praise. They believe when they say save us that this is about to happen. Hosanna and then blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahweh from verse 26. So this is, of course, the Messiah the man who comes in the name of Yahweh, the heir of David, to enter into the holy gates of Jerusalem and to gain a great victory over all the nations who would try to oppress him, yet to be saved by Yahweh and to unite Israel, Aaron's house, and all who fear God. And here's the thing. They were right. That's exactly what Psalm 18 ultimately is about. It was prophetic, and it was fulfilled in Jesus, just not how those people on that day thought it would be. They didn't think that among all those nations compassing round about the Messiah to destroy him, that Israel would be among them. But it was both Israel and Rome and through their empire representing all the nations of the earth who stood around Jesus on the cross mocking him. The people on that Sunday didn't think when in verse 18 it said, the Lord has not given me over to death, that what that really signified was the Messiah would in fact give himself up to death only to defeat it from within and to raise himself up again. They didn't think that in verse 27, saying, bind the sacrifice with cords, yea, even into the horns of the altar, that that was going to mean that the Messiah himself was the sacrifice bound to the altar of the cross. But we do. We now see that. The triumphant language of Psalm 118 that we sang earlier now find its true meaning through the passion narrative that we just heard. This juxtaposition of triumph and defeat, of victory and suffering, of salvation through death, is the whole theme of Holy Week. We hold both of these things together through the whole drama. They can never be separated. And so it's with those eyes and ears that we should see and hear everything this week. This is our framework to understand Christ's words and his actions, his uh, if we, if we follow Christ and follow him through his teachings this week, through his suffering and his death, then not only at his resurrection will we be able to say the first and the last verse of Psalm 18, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is gracious and his mercy endureth forever, but also at every step along the way this week. This is what we as Christians now see, that Christ was never going to be the conquering hero <laughs> that people assumed the Messiah was going to be through military might, but he always was going to conquer not only the enemies of Israel, but the enemies of God all across the world, both those um, men who were set against him and also the spiritual powers of darkness. But he was going to do that by letting both men and the spiritual powers of darkness exhaust themselves by throwing everything they had at him. And through his suffering as a man, as one of us, he endured all of it. Now with all of man and uh, demon exhausted, he declares his victory by taking his life up again, by setting free the prisoners in Hades. This is, this is how Holy Week works. We hold both things together. We never separate them. We never come to Good Friday looking at it as a defeat, but waiting for Sunday as the vindication. We look at Good Friday itself As a victory. And we look at every step along the way through Holy Week, through his betrayal by Judas, through his words to the disciples in the uh, upper room preparing them. We look at every step as his willful um, walk toward this victory on the cross. All right, the victory on the third day is the victory that. connects this old world that we're still a part of with the new world that God will um, uh, bring about in, in the, his final coming. And the, the resurrection connects these things. But in the cross, in the cross, our life here and now is redeemed. And the only way that we can learn to be true human beings is to follow the one true human being that the world has ever seen and to uh, participate in all of his steps. That's why he says to carry our crosses following him. So on Good Friday, when we follow him around his path um, to Golgotha and to the grave, what we are doing is participating not only in his suffering, but in his victory as a human being, uh, showing love to the bitter end after the world, the flesh, and the devil could throw everything they could at him. So... (laughs) Give thanks unto the Lord, for he is gracious, and his mercy endures forever. That includes the path to the cross, not just the resurrection that comes after. So let's keep that in mind this week as we follow Jesus Christ through his holy week. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and Reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox Mission in Atlanta, Georgia.